Good morning, uh, Journey Church. You know, it's awesome, I know, to, to have people watching us online, but um, it's kind of a blessing to see more people starting to trickle back in uh, to our services. And so we love you guys, and we're, we're really happy that you're here. You know, you just watched that video about the released initiative, and you've heard about that uh, for a couple of weeks. You're going to hear more about that a little later on. But it's basically, we're going we're to work and pray towards being released from uh, these burdens uh, that keep us from being released to, you know, living the will of God more completely. And so that's, in a nutshell, what the Released Initiative is about. And so we've been in this sermon series for the last uh, couple of weeks that kind of dovetails with that, about the things that we can actually be, le- be released from so that we can, we can be released to ministry. And so today I'm going to be talking to you about being released from anxiety uh, to peace. You know, I was, uh, I was just thinking while I was sitting in the front row, I, I was asked to do this sermon a, a couple of months ago, but it's amazing how, how God can prepare you in, in certain ways because I've had a very anxious week. And so honestly, when I wrote this sermon, I was kind of writing it to myself. And so I hope you get a lot out of it today, but, um, but I think it was for me as much as anybody as God was laying all this stuff on our hearts. And so, you know, we are an anxious, stressed out society. There's no doubt about it. Um, I don't know why, but North America seems to be worse than most. And I'm a statistic guy, so I was looking uh, at some websites, and there's this website called GeneSight Mental Health Monitor, and according to this website, 46%, almost half of the people that are diagnosed with anxiety, claim that their symptoms are moderate to severe. And that was pre-COVID. And so post-COVID, almost 90% of the same people that reported to be diagnosed with anxiety say that their symptoms now are moderate to severe. And so we've suffered this pandemic, but we've got like a pandemic as a result of the pandemic, and it's, it's anxiety and it's stress. And so we're all stressed out. So what does God teach us about dealing with anxiety? So today I'm going to be sharing with you from the book of Matthew chapter 6, if you want to follow along. It's verses 25 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. He said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what will you wear. Is life not more than food? And is your body not more than clothes? Jesus gave the perfect example when he said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, and they don't store away their stuff in barns, and yet the heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add one hour to your life, O you of little faith? So Jesus gives us some pretty good instructions for dealing with anxiety. But despite this, we, we tend to worry about everything that life throws at us. Now, I don't know if, if you're like me, but I worry about work a lot. Honestly, we spend more time with the people we work with sometimes than we do with our families. And sometimes people have to work and they can't even spend the holidays at home with their families. You know, we're worried if we don't do a good enough job, we'll lose our job. You know, and there was times in my life when, when I worried about losing my job for no fault of my own. I, see, I, I'm a child of the 80s, so I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. I worked through some uh, pretty severe recessions. 
And so I remember there were times when I worried about whether I would have a job the next day. I worried about working myself out of a job. That was a real concern. And I remember that being a huge stress on my life. And maybe you live that now. You know, I remember a time when I was managing projects. My boss asked me once about a project that was going on in the town where I was working. It wasn't our project. It was someone else's. And I said, I don't know anything about it. And he scolded me. And he said, this is your career. You're supposed to know everything about what's going on around you. He said he was disappointed in me. What he was saying was, is that I needed to eat and sleep and drink and live my job. And so it kind of marshaled me on to work those 60-hour weeks and, and to travel thousands of miles uh, a year. And so honestly, I sacrificed my family a lot during those times, all for the sake of my job, if I wanted to keep it, that is. I did that for a long time. But you know, when we went on vacation, sometimes I was there, but I wasn't there because I was worried about what was going on with my job while I wasn't there. And you know, I used to dream up solutions to big problems in my sleep. I used to have pride about keeping a notebook by my bed because I would write a solution down that I dreamed up Something I couldn't think about when I was awake. And so, folks, just that alone is the definition of anxiety, if you really ask me. I wasn't even sleeping like I should. Even when I had time off, I worried because I knew the work that I had was still going to be there when I got back. No little fairies came and did all of it while I was gone. And so I stressed about it even when I had time off. Just immersed in my job so much. And it took me a long time to realize and to listen to God when He said, you are not defined by your job. That's not what defines you. And I remember one moment of clarity when I was driving to a project and I was just so torn up and worried. I remember pulling off and just kind of sobbing on the road when I realized all these things that I thought were huge really didn't mean anything. All these big problems I had, I, was, I pictured myself as this little tiny dot on this earth thinking my problems were worse than anybody else's and they didn't mean a thing when you really looked at it based on eternity. And so I think because of my anxiety about my work, I wasted a very precious commodity. I wasted time. We worry about time a lot too. You know, that's something that we stress out about. You know, most of uh, my adult life, I've thought that time really wasn't on my side, despite what Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones said. So I didn't think it was on my side. I heard a few people laugh, so that kind of dates you if you understand that reference. I remember my football coach in the heat of a game, pointing up at the scoreboard, trying to, trying to ag us on. And he said, you know, every second that clicks off that clock is gone forever. So take advantage of this time. And you know, honestly, he was right. He was right. Time's the most limited resource that we have. And you know, a lot of people say we try to buy time. You really can't buy it. You can only rent it. Sometimes I find myself wringing my hands because it doesn't seem like there's enough time in the day to get the things done that I need to get done. And you know, now that I'm getting older, I got this whole new worry about time because I got a whole lot more of it behind me now than I do ahead of me. So when we get on that other side of middle age, we start to worry about how much time we've got left. People do a lot of crazy things. 
trying to make up time. But in the end, do we really control it? It's still ticking away whether we like it or not. I had an elderly neighbor when we lived here in town. And uh, I met her at Christmas when we were meeting with a, 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 a kind of a group of the neighborhood for a Christmas dinner. And she was telling us her story. She was in her 70s. And she had just moved from California. And she had talked about how her and her husband had worked feverishly, you know, preparing for retirement. And, and they got into their 60s and decided they didn't have enough. And so they, they worked on. He, he, he worked on and started, just kept squirreling away money into their 70s. And so finally they retired and they bought this nice motorhome. They bought a trailer to pull their car behind it. They were going to tour the country and live their dream in their golden years. So they drove from Northern California to Washington State. They, they parked their RV. They set up. They had a nice dinner. They went to bed. And he had an aortic dissection, and he died in his sleep. So their golden years turned into a golden day. All of that anxiety built up for that time. People, we don't know what the next hour is. It's not promised to us. The next day is not promised to us, yet we continue to stress out about time. And if there's another thing we stress about the most is money. We stress about money. Who, who doesn't? Who doesn't worry about money? And you know, we've said something on this stage, and I hope this really registers with you, but we're all wealthy. If you live in North America, chances are you are wealthy by the world's standards. If you have just a roof over your head, if you have hot and cold running water, if you have a source of heat and more than one change of clothes, by the world's standards, you're rich. I bet some of you are thinking, well, that's news to me. We live in the most affluent country in the world, yet we don't feel like we have enough. And you know, there's some statistics, if you want to try to understand where our stress from money comes, and this is a North American statistic, 20% of Americans don't save any of their annual income or put anything away. 20%. 40% of Americans have less than $10,000 saved for their retirement. And about the same percentage of people are, have anxiety because they don't feel like they've got enough set back for retirement. And they're right. 56%, nearly 60% of millennials don't worry about putting money back for retirement. I know some of them don't even have retirement accounts. And just so you don't think I'm picking on you millennials out there, we're not better, much better off in my generation. The baby boomers and the Gen Xers, only about 40% uh, claim to put anything, or I'm sorry, 40% have nothing put away. And we're a lot closer to retirement than you millennials are, so you still have a chance. Two-thirds of Americans, it says, would struggle to scrounge up $1,000 for an emergency. Most of them would have to finance an emergency. In fact, I'd say a lot of people don't know what $1,000 cash looks like today. And according to MarketWatch, half of American households are living paycheck to paycheck. Of the Americans that have savings account, this is across the board. This is an average the average of Americans who have savings accounts have about $5,000 in their accounts. And remember, these are statistics I'm sharing for the most affluent nation in the world. 
Debt is taking us over. We rely on debt to get through our kids through school. We rely on or we overuse credit cards, pay sky-high mortgages. I really feel for people who have to buy a house in today's market. You know, in, in Woodford County, if you're going to buy a brand new house, if you can find one, it's going to cost you over $400,000 in some circumstances. Talk about stress. 77 million Americans, or about 35% of adults who have a credit file, have a payment in collections. And a third Americans of Americans just pay the minimums on their credit cards and carry balances. Half of us rely on uh, a loan to purchase a car. I think that's probably being generous. I think most of us do. 43% of Americans spend more than they receive on a monthly basis and make up the difference by borrowing. Check, uh, cash checking stores, they are, uh, are on every corner. And folks, they're predatory. Please stay away from them. I wish they would make that illegal. That's legal loan sharking, if you ask me. So I bet just me sharing all this has probably increased your anxiety level. Just hearing all of that. You know, again, we're, we're among the richest people in the world, but we probably worry more about money than most people in the world. And these stats are a year old. You know, a year in COVID years is in an eternity, right? So they're a year old. If all of this isn't enough, we've got a break in the supply chain. We've got runaway inflation. Fuel costs are through this roof and so all through the roof. So all of this is fueling the fire of anxiety that we struggle with. Is it any wonder we're not stressed out? You know, they say most separations and divorces, number one cause that's stated is finances. So we worry and stress out about money. I'm going to be honest with you, God has taught me a lot of lessons on finances in the past, in the past years. But for most of my life, unfortunately, it was on-the-job training. And so I've had to live and make those mistakes to learn. You know, my wife and I both would tell you that we're fiscally conservative. And in the past, we took uh, pride in the fact that we weren't as bad as the other folks, but we made a lot of irresponsible decisions. And one of the biggest things, the mistakes that we made for too long, is that we were tipping God instead of tithing. We weren't being generous in our giving. We gave whatever was left at the end of the week, and most times it wasn't a whole lot. And that was at a time in our life where we were making the most money. It was the time of our highest earnings. And I'm going to be honest with you, those were the times that I remember where we had the most financial stress in our lives. And we were convicted, I believe, by the Holy Spirit about 15 years ago to liquidate our unsecured debt. When I say unsecured debt, I mean when we owned cars that were worth a third of what we owed on them. We, we had to get rid of that. When we had credit cards, uh, balances that we were carrying, signature loans, whatever, we had a lot of it. And God called us to get rid of that. And he was preparing us for the future. He really was. And so in a relatively short amount of time, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we paid off all of that debt. And we, we carry only a mortgage to this day. And we began to tithe. In the middle of that, we didn't wait until we got it paid off. We began to tithe. We gave 10% of our gross income during all of that. And I'm not kidding you when I say this, that our financial anxiety has, has been far less 
when we answered in obedience to those calls to, to get rid of these things, to quit making bad decisions, and to start being generous with what God blessed us with. So there's two ways I think that we can reduce financial anxiety that I want to share with you. First thing is this, be a good steward of God's gifts. It's all His. Going into massive debt, folks, it's a prison. Debt is a prison. But it doesn't have to be a life sentence. You know, some people think, well, I don't make enough money to get out of debt. You can. You can do it. A Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, it's worth a read. It's worth going through that Financial Peace University. We do that from time to time here. Anybody can escape the chains of debt. It doesn't matter. You can do it. And you'll experience freedom when you do that. The next thing is this. Trust that God will provide. Trust that He will provide. And I've lived this. Living uh, in a higher paying career most of my life, giving that up for full-time ministry, that required some faith. And I'm telling you, we've had no huge financial challenges since we did that because we knew we were going to have to rely on God. And He came through. And it opened us up to be generous beyond our ties to the church. When a family member needed help, when a friend was in a, in a pickle, we were able to help. And we did that freely. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to experience God's blessings, then do that. Be someone who can be that relief for someone else. And they can see Jesus through that. See, the money and getting rid of the debt really isn't important. Is that you can show them the love of Christ. And when they experience that, there is nothing like it. And so you can be released from that anxiety and, 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 and released to be more generous to the people around you. All the while supporting the mission of the church. And finally, I think the worst anxiety that we can, that we can bear is loss. It can seem unbearable. Losing anyone we love, um, it, it's devastating. Just worrying about losing the people that we love can create anxiety. You know, you guys know my son is a police officer. And so every time he puts on that uniform and he goes out onto the streets, he's putting himself in harm's way. And a lot of people, when we tell them that, uh, that we have a son who's a police officer, they say, don't you lay up at night and worry? And they're baffled when I tell them, no, I don't. See, first I want to tell you a little bit about his mother. His, Chris, Chris, my wife, knew from the time that she was young that she was going to be a nurse, specifically a pediatric nurse, from the time she was a little girl. When she graduated high school, nursing school was just like the next grade in high school. She knew it was going to happen. She knew she was going to do it because God called her to that. And if you're a nurse, I hope you feel the same way because the paycheck ain't worth it. It's taking care of those people, taking care of those kids. That's what God calls doctors and nurses to do. And so just like my wife, my son knew he was going to be a police officer. From the time he could talk, I argue from, from before he could talk, he knew that he was going to be a police officer. And that never changed. He knew he was going to go to Eastern because they have the best criminal justice school in the country. And he knew by the time he was 21, he was going to be a sworn police officer. That's what God called him to be, a public servant. And so when people say, do you worry about him? It's like, I know God's got him covered. No matter what happens, 
That's who God's called him to be. Do I want to try to talk him out of doing that? To try to talk him out of being what God called him to be just for my peace of mind? So no, we don't worry about Jacob. We, God has got him. We pray for him. Um, we sleep just fine at night. And I'll tell you what, we suffered a, a huge blow this week. Had a brother-in-law who passed unexpectedly. Talk about anxiety. That was rough. 54 years old. It's been a tough pill to swallow. It really is. That's why I say I wrote this sermon for myself. I'm needing this. When he started to deteriorate and we knew that he wasn't going to make it, I had a conversation with my little sister. And I just said, sis, you know, we're going to have to lean on God on this. And without a hesitation, she said, I know. She said, I know. And I got to tell you something about my little sister. And I asked her for permission to share this with you. She struggles with anxiety. She's one of those that's diagnosed with anxiety. And so I worried about her. I feared that she wasn't going to be able to deal with all of this. But let me tell you, she became the rock of her family. She did. I'm so proud of her. I asked her when James passed, was this just a facade? Are you okay? And she said, I'm fine. She said, this is going to get tough. But she said, no, this wasn't a facade. This is real. Because see, James was a believer. James knew Christ. He was covered. My sister's a believer. And so she was fine. She was fine. I'm just so thankful to God. I'm telling you, There is a peace that you can have through Christ that you cannot find anywhere else. And my sister knows that. See, we've got to trust in God regardless of what outcomes we see. I'm honored to share your testimony this morning as proof that there really is joy in knowing Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that the coming months and the years aren't going to be hard. The empty chairs through all those firsts, that's going to be tough. tough. But it's hope, it's hope that my family has that's going to keep us going. Again, we don't have to worry about the outcome that's already taken care of. You know, if you're a believer, you should know that you can find peace in the promise that Jesus made. You can find joy, and most importantly, you can find hope in the promise of grace that Jesus Christ provides. So what do we do with this worry? What do we do with all of this anxiety? How do we get released from all of this this stuff that the world throws at us? And the answer comes to Jesus Christ. That's what we need. I want to finish those verses as I wrap up in the book of Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus continued on and He said this, So do not worry saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the unbelievers run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But get this, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own.
You know, if you're here and you haven't made that confession about Christ, I don't know what your source of hope is. I'm not sure that you have one. I mentioned before that that the next hour isn't promised to us. And that's so true. And so if, you've, if God's been, been compelling you, if God's been working on your heart, and you keep thinking, I'll wait, I got tomorrow, there's nothing that says you do. Answering that call is just simply answering in obedience. It's not about cleaning yourself up or getting better. You'll never do that. You'll never be good enough to come to the foot of the cross. If that's you today, I want to be up here. Randy's going to be up here. We would love to talk to you more about that. We would love to pray you through that. But also want to be up here just to pray. You know, part of the worship experience is just talking and listening to God. We always ask if you you need something, come up. We'll pray with you. But it's also just a good time to come up and pray our form of worship and communicating with the Heavenly Father. Now I know if you need anything, please come up. I need it. I need your prayers today. But I want to invite you to come up and do that. As we listen to this last song, as we worship, I said, we're going to be up here. I want to pray. And uh, then let's all stand up and continue to do what we came here to do today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this peace and this hope and this calm that we have through knowing you. God, knowing you're the only source, I hope that that, that breaks our hearts for people that don't know you. I pray that everyone here who has plenty of people in their circles of concern, that, that they would be on fire to tell them more about you. God, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for loving us. We love you. We're here to worship and to honor you and to praise you. God, we offer all of this today in the blessed name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.